Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. It's Friday, y'all. <laughs> we have made it <laughs> to Friday. It's been uh, quite the busy week and uh, next week we've got a little break in the midst of the week on Thanksgiving. We'll be live for four days of the five of the week, taking a little break with the family on Thanksgiving Day. We're going to be up in Cleveland on Tuesday for the 50 Nights of Lights. Looks like the weather is going to be quite cooperative at this point. It was a little brisk last year. It would have helped if uh, when they set that heater up, they'd have turned it on. Somehow there was that some tends to help. confusion on that. But I'm looking forward to that. And then Friday, we're at Carter Jewelers, back in the studio Monday and Wednesday. So a lot of stuff going on. Appreciate you joining us today. We've got Lance Tolbert on next, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer, The Gallo Show. He's got the longest title in the company, I believe. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist. You hear her voice quite a bit on the breaks, delivering the news. With Super Talk Mississippi News, she'll join us at 11.20 at 12.05. Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, Former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council and Super Talk Mississippi News column contributor. He will come on to talk about his most recent op-ed, which published last week. And we'll discuss the current state of affairs with respect to national politics, etc. The president has signed off on the temporary spending bill, averting narrowly, as they say, a government shutdown. So that's in the books. This uh, buys some time for lawmakers on the Hill, starting in the House of Representatives, to hammer out some legislation to fund the government on a more permanent basis, at least for the fiscal year 2024. It's crazy that we're doing that four months into the year at this point, because these temporary resolutions these spending bills, will expire at the end of January, and the others, there's, it's a laddered effect is how the Speaker 
as uh, is describing this move. Some at the end of January, some a couple of weeks later. later. And he is at least touting the fact that this will avoid what has happened historically on many occasions, including last year, as you recall, when they were rushing, rushing, rushing towards the end of the year to get home for the Christmas break, the holiday break, to get the government funded, and they ended up ramming through a $1.7 trillion discretionary spending omnibus bill. That's when they just stick all $1.7 trillion in one big catch-all measure, as opposed to passing 12 separate bills through the process known as regular order. So the Speaker is at least taking a bit of a victory lap on avoiding that nonsense. I agree, that's better, but we still ain't where we need to be, which is, again, negotiating, deliberating the spending bills and getting the spending down. I got to take my hat off to Amazon this morning, Rhino, some news. Why is that? Well, because they have said you're not going to be in line for a promotion unless you get to the office and work. How about that? You won't get promoted if they ignore the return to office mandate. Now, you know, I'm... Wouldn't that be called a no-call, no-show? It could be, yeah. I like that. If, if they tell you to show up to work and you don't show up to work, what other business do you get away with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, maybe it's just a function of the tight labor market. They just deal with it. But this is, I guess, fall short of just outright termination. And here's what they say. You're expected to work from the office three-plus days a week for certain roles. And if you don't do that, you're not uh, going to be in line for a promotion. I like it. I really do. It's ridiculous. In my view, I think many, many workers, shocking as this may sound, have abused this, uh, this new work-from-home wave that swept the company during the COVID. So they've published those guidelines and they've told their employees to get on back to work or you're not going to be in line and considered for a promotion on time or as would otherwise be the case if you were at the work. So, and of course, many of them rallied, uh, actually staged a walkout back in the May time frame at the corporate headquarters in Seattle, Washington. We want to stay home! what they were doing when they were rallying out uh, outside of the headquarters building. So hats off to Amazon in that respect. Meantime, America's future business leaders, they are being inundated with critical race theory and DEI ideology, according to a recent study. Some of these prominent business schools are including including courses 
on these subject matters of CRT and DEI in business school, teaching you to be good, obedient little Marxist managers, right? This is disgusting, in my opinion, has no place in the classroom, and has zero to do to to do with being an effective business person, which is what I assume you're going to do once you graduate with a degree in one of the various uh, business majors. This is ridiculous, and it is continuing. 236 colleges or universities of 500 that were examined by criticalrace.org, which is a group that tries to identify where this sort of stuff is happening. They say that 236 of 500 have some form of mandatory student coursework on CRT and or a DEI. I want to know if this is happening in Mississippi. I'm curious. Uh, Are these required courses in business schools in Mississippi's colleges and universities? And of course, they, you know, the the terminology, you know this, Rhino, they use to, to try to veil it. I mean, it's almost like euphemisms for it. It's wordsmithing. Yeah. Anti-racism, cultural competency, <laughs> cultural competency, that's a new one. <laughs> um, implicit bias, anti-bias. This is crazy. Uber bias. <laughs> Uber nostrum. <laughs> Some of the schools, now, if you look at the top 10 B schools, based on the various organizations that rate business schools, you look at uh, the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago, Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern, Sloan, Wharton at Pennsylvania, Sloan School at MIT, uh, Harvard University's B School, Tuck School of Business, Dartmouth, Stanford, etc. All these programs, all these majors, these business majors at these universities include this CRT and DEI stuff. Because that's essential, of course to being successful as a business person. You wonder, how did we function without that? Did they think they just came onto the scene and all of a sudden, boom, like bliss breaks out in corporate America? This is necessary? You have to, like, teach people Well, before the DEI was the dark times. Oh, I see. We don't talk about those times. This is crazy. It was before the enlightenment of DEI came about. Well, how do you teach business principles, which should to some degree be focused on creating value for society to produce financial reward? Well, that's the problem. They find value in all this nonsense. Well, that's you're right. That's the problem. How do you square that with the concept of equity, where everybody gets the same regardless of how much they contribute well, to society? now you're asking them to use logic, and they don't like that. Oh, gosh. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. Lance Tolbert is coming up next. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Wow. Michigan State. How about that? Playing Brick House. Commodores, right? Before I married my wife, I want you to know I dated a gal who won the Miss Brick House contest up in <laughs> Can't remember the name of the disco up in Memphis. <laughs> disco days. Yeah, it was 77, 78 time well, Thelma Houston. Some, well, that's one of them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, the Bee Gees, the of course, Bee Gees Saturday Night Fever yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, John Travolta. Oh, yeah. All right, we welcome to the program now that voice you heard, Lance Tolbert, host of Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show, the longest title in the Super Talk Company. <laughs> I, I get to do the ag report today, too. You do? Yes, sir. Okay. So that's going to be a new... I <laughs> we'll that add that <laughs> to your resume here, yeah, to man. your CV. All right, it's uh, high school football Friday, as they say. The season uh, winding down. Tell us where we are. We had a couple of state championships that were determined last night. The 1A eight-man, uh, and if you've not ever watched eight-man football, that's something you want to tune into. It is hmm. very fun to watch, and um, Sharky Issaquina came back last night. They were 11 and one, playing Calhoun Academy, 10 and one. Uh, Sharky got off to a bad start, yeah, and then they just had big play after big play, and they ended up taking the 1A. Uh, state championship, and uh, that was a, a fun one. So that that was a championship crown last night at Jackson Academy, and uh, now you also had another state champion crown last night, the 5A MAIS. All of those will be determined by Saturday. So all of your private school, independent schools will be determined by Saturday. But last night, 7 p.m., Adams Christian took on Simpson Academy. Adams Christian won that. Uh, they were 11 and three. Simpson Academy been playing some good ball but wasn't able to hold off uh, that ball game, and, and it just got a little separated out after a little bit. Uh, but again, you know, it was just one of those watching those games. You got you got state champions being crowned. Adams Christian won that 47-28. to 28. And uh, uh, so you got two of those out of the way. And so we'll move on to uh, today you have at Jackson Academy the Class 2A state championship at 10.30 a.m., the Breakfast Bowl. <laughs> Newton County Academy, who's 12-1, is going to take on DeSoto, Arkansas, who's 11-0. and Wow. So Big-time game there. That'll determine the state champ for 2A. Uh, Class 4A will also be today at 3 p.m. Bowling Green, Louisiana, they're 9-3, and and they'll play Tri-County Academy. That was kind of our favorite going in, I think, to this classification in 4A. Tri-County's had a heck of a season. They're 11 and 1, so we'll see how that one uh, pans out. And then you'll fast forward to 7 p.m. for the 3A state championship again at Jackson Academy. They're hosting all of those games other than the 6A. The Greenville St. Joe uh, team, will, who's 8 and 3, take on Kirk Academy, who's 12 and 0. So another big time game. Greenville St. Joe's had a good season, and Kirk has had an impeccable season. So we'll see if good and great merge up tonight and who happens to be the best. Saturday, you're going to fast forward, and everyone's going to want to pay attention to this game. I can assure you. you got, it's at Mississippi College, so if you can't make it, I can assure you you can find a live stream out there somewhere. But it's the 6A state championship. It's a rematch of Jackson Prep and Hartfield Academy. Jackson Prep lost that first game. It was a good game. Lost it, though. Uh, kind of 
I think redefine their season. I, I visit with Coach Goodwin and and, um, and Coach Bowman at, at Hartfield, and I know this is a game they're looking forward to. Hartfield's kind of cruised through the season at thirteen and zero, beating the mess out of everybody. Perhaps had the, a little harder route to go, but they're extremely talented with a young quarterback in Puckett that will make you play some football to to, to vend him. So that's going to round out what we have going on in the private school side and. We'll fast forward. There's been some, you know, movement here. You got quarterfinals. All of this is going on uh, tonight, November the 17th. The quarterfinals for 7A, Oxford and Starkville. Uh, another little egg bowl battle. You got Tupelo and Madison Central. I know uh, Bob is headed up to call that one. Uh, another big time matchup and a replay of another game that happened earlier in the season, Brandon and Pearl. Uh, that will be a uh, the third game in the quarterfinals. And then Meridian, who is my dark horse to win it all as a four seed, not saying they're going to win it, but if a four seed can do it, Meridian has Oak Grove. And so if yeah. they can get through Oak Grove tonight, uh, that's, a, that's a big big bite out of the apple. And so we're moving forward next week. All of these uh, semifinals will be on the 24th next week, and that goes for all classifications. And in um, the 6A South Panola and the Shoba Central top tonight at 7, all these games are at 7 as well. Uh, Warren Central and Grenada. West Jones, who has had an amazing season, takes on a very difficult Terry team. And Picayune and Pascagoula, Battle of the Coastal guys. They will uh, get back after it when Picayune is the defending state champ in that classification. Actually, we've been 5A last year, uh, but you know they, they moved up to 6A. And so that, that's going to round out the quarterfinals for 6A. Uh, so we're in that time of year, as Dixon says, as the uh, weather cools off, which it hasn't yet. Right. The action will heat up. What about uh, any any players? I, I know I always like to ask you that. Any players that are e- evolving as being standout and whose stock has gone up as the season has progressed, getting a lot of attention from uh, the next level? Yeah, that's There's so many good kids. It's like watching last night. You see, you see guys that you haven't really gotten a chance to see play. There was a big number 77 uh, last night for – the um, I'm trying to remember which team it was. I watched so much football. <laughs> Let's see. The uh, I think it was yeah Adams County Christian. Their number seventy seven uh, defensive lineman. He owned the game. He was in the backfield the whole time. And Simpson has an amazing offense. But there's so many players that just keep popping up. Meridian's running back Daniel Hill, amazing player. And uh, we'll see how he fares against a very good Oak Grove team tonight. Oak Grove is loaded with talent. Uh, their quarterback, Maddox, is a, is a lefty, can sling it around. Uh, they have so much talent on that team. Brandon, loaded with talent. McQueen, a receiver you didn't hear much about early in the season, has absolutely lit up defenses lately. Landon Barnes has been connecting at quarterback. We could go on and on and on about the talent at every level of football in this state. Some of the matchups that you don't get to see a lot that – uh, to me, you know, I would I wish I got to watch a little bit more 1A football. Uh, it, you, Biggersville, West Lowndes, Baldwin, Vardaman, Simmons, Taylorsville, Velma Jackson is undefeated. They're they're a local team out yeah, there. In, Madison County, yeah, man, northeast part of the county. Resurrection Catholic. There are players on all of these teams that you know. It's hard to get statistics for, but mm. there's always two or three stars on those 1A teams and 2A teams that, you know, it's just hard to get info. I want to, for next year, I'm going to do a better job of trying to find out rosters and get to more up-to-date stats because those are challenges when you have 150-something games to pull yeah. off. But again, you get to that 2A slate where Hamilton, Charleston, Calhoun City, Union, Heidelberg, Collins, Raleigh, and Scott Central. But the, the one that really gets me is the 4A it is a murderer's row of great teams with Caledonia and Louisville. 
Houston, West Lauderdale, past Christiane in Columbia, Lawrence County in Poplarville. Uh, th- these are just you know, remarkable programs that are going to be playing tonight in the semifinal round. And, you know, it, it's sad. Somebody's got to lose one of these games, and, and obviously some are going to win. But Houston is loaded. Louisville is loaded. Columbia is loaded. It, it's just one team after another this season that have stood out and have either run the gauntlet or come pretty close. And then our guy, Garrison Davis, over at Holmes County Central, a quarterback that played at Ridgeland, had transferred out. His father, I believe, is a coach there. He has had an unbelievable season. They've been undefeated all year. They're going to have a tough, tough opponent tonight in West Point. Hmm. So uh, Florence has Gaucher, a local team. Florence has had a great run. And then Laurel and Brookhaven, uh, just, again, it's just uh, one after another. But one kid that we always like to mention that has had a phenomenal season is Lunch Meat Lindsay, this guy we've been trying to get on the program. I believe he's a West Jones kid and just uh, eats up running backs for a living, I think. So. Hmm. That's going to about round out most of what I have for you today. We'll have some more as time passes. Uh, You know, next week we'll be in the semifinal round. It'll be heating up for Friday night. And by then, all of the MAIS teams will have declared a champion. Okay. MAIS. So MHSAA. All the publics will be in the semifinal round next week. We're in the quarters now. And then the championship December 1st, you know, through that range. Semifinal. Uh, Lance means North versus South champion. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, you'll have your North division will fight it out for the North, and then the South will fight it out for the South, and then you'll come to the championship where North and South will meet in December. Okay. So yeah. Gotcha. So whittling it down. Whoever advances to the semifinals in the North, two teams in the North, two teams in the South, Mm -hmm. and then one of those will advance then to the final championship. Is that the following Friday or Saturday? Yes. Well, you'll you'll have December the first is when those commence, and let me double check December first during that week. Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, Oxford. Is yeah. where you're going to be having those. Yes, okay. sir. Uh, you have some December 2nd games as well. So I think it's December 1, 2, and 3, actually. And where's the championships for 7A and so forth played uh, this year? They're going to be in, 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 in Oxford. Oxford. Yes, sir. Because they rotate that, right? They do. This yeah. will be Oxford's turn, and I think they've been in uh, Hattiesburg the last couple of years. That sounds right. Well, well, we got uh, an exciting uh, couple of weeks of high school football around the Magnolia State for sure. What time does our coverage start tonight? Six o'clock. Well, I mean, well, normally that would be Will. So we'll fast forward to 10. We're not doing the pre, pre-show, pre so we're getting it all done here. So 10 o'clock will be all our right. starting coverage. Appreciate the update, Lance. Thanks. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, joins us at 11.20. And then Ashley Edwards at 12.05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. Yeah, Elon Musk getting a little pushback. We shared that yesterday, and you knew there were going to be some further ramifications. And late yesterday, the IBM Corporation announced they were would no longer be advertising on the platform. That is not good news for Mr. Musk, because... 
from a financial perspective, Twitter, we call it Twitter here, right? Right. <laughs> you made that rule. It, uh, it's not doing too well. Really never has been a financial powerhouse, and for many years just lost money, bled cash. So it ain't good when your advertisers pull, and it is over his apparent support based on a comment he made to a post, talking about Elon Musk, that was uh, anti-Semitic in nature. Now, they're trying to spin this deal, the president of Twitter, etc., issuing statements, trying to spin it, but I kind of think the cat's out of the proverbial bag. And this is a risk to all of his companies, honestly, including uh, Tesla, but the European Commission joined IBM in announcing it will stop advertising on X. And that's because Musk agreed with a post that said Jewish people hold a dialectical hatred of white people. I don't even exactly know what that means. And Musk responded to this this post by saying, you have said the actual truth. In the meantime, the social media platforms in particular, TikTok, as we mentioned yesterday, they're scrambling to remove all references and posts concerning and sharing Osama bin Laden's letter to America, some 20 years old, basically calling for the erasure of the nature of the nation of Israel, and of course denouncing America. This was in advance of 9-11. And what's disturbing are the number of young people in particular in this country that are sharing the, the letter and the hashtag, Osama bin Laden was right. Are they just idiots, honestly? I don't like to well, call considering people. these same people about what? Five, six years ago, we're having to be told, don't eat laundry detergent. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that pretty much is a litmus test of intellect and, uh, and deductive reasoning skills right there. And this is sad to me in this country. Uh, just forget politics. Have we just lost, as they say, our moral compass? Are we just that depraved? Has it gotten to that point? And there are more reports this morning about Israel's, uh, Israel's IDF, their defense force, in Gaza and some of the gruesome discoveries, like bombs positioned in elementary schools and the like. Yeah, one of the biggest controversies, I guess you would call it, was the discovery of a cache of guns hiding behind an MRI machine. And there was a Lengthy debate between and among several different, I guess nobody's, just random people on social media, about, well, it's an MRI. and You you can't have any metal near an MRI. And it's like, well, do they have the liquid helium needed to run it? I thought they didn't have any power and got like, how are they running this MRI? And, well, they wouldn't have guns near a magnet. Well, the magnet oh, wasn't. It's just back and forth and back oh and forth. It's like, gosh. There's photo evidence. There's a picture of the cache and then everything laid out. So they were there. Why are we arguing over whether or not the MRI was turned on? Unbelievable. And I, I have not wavered on my belief that all of this attitude, this, this uh, pro-Hamas 
anti-Israel, just bigotry, just hate. It, it all stems from the CRT DEI movement, which we're teaching in business schools now. We're learning. That's where it all stems from, in my view. Because these professors, these Marxist professors, and really all they've done, if you think about the, the original tenets, the philosophy of Marxism, it was economic-based. It was grounded in economics. It's uh, the, the Politburo who controlled the capital, the proletariat who worked and didn't have any control of their economic destiny. The idea was you get, you get them all ginned up and poke them, uh, incite them, the proletariat, to the point that they overthrow the Politburo who controls the capital, and then they just redistribute everything. Well, it, all the CRT stuff does is just substitute race as the divider for, for economics, for assets, for wealth as a divider. Still the same idea, same concept, same goal. Just pit one group against another. Divide, divide, divide. That, that is the essence of it. And that's what's being taught in our schools at all levels, honestly. And this gender ideology, it, it is, uh, it's kind of an offspring of that. It's, it's dividing people across their support for this idea that a man can have a baby, for example. And if, if you don't accept that, all hell breaks loose. The wrath of the left, who do believe all that crap. You are whatever you identify as stuff. And I, all, all of this, I think, is uh, being used to brainwash our future leaders, it's, it's scary. And it um, doesn't seem to get quite the attention that it needs because there are just so precious few organizations that are vetting this. And many of the students on these campuses that disagree with this, they're afraid to speak up of how it might affect their grades, their future, their status in the classroom. They're trying to get out of there, get a job. And they're worried about how it might affect them. And there's no doubt there are countless examples of professors, instructors, who are factoring a student's political leanings and philosophy and worldview into their grading structure, subjective as opposed to being objective. And the schools are just overrun with this, uh, this line of thinking. There's a pro-Palestinian group saw this yesterday in New York that has shared a map of New York City on social media where they're essentially identifying businesses and buildings and uh, just other addresses that they're calling for direct action on them because of their pro-Israel stances. And it included the newsroom of the New York Post, because they happen to have taken in their, their writings and their opinions a more pro-Israel stance. So it's, it goes uh, in the communication, they say, quote, each of the locations on this map reflects the location of an office of an enemy of both the Palestinian people and the colonized people all over the world. Today and beyond, these locations will be sites for popular mobilization in defense of our people. 
That was Wednesday. May this map serve as a call for every struggle to act in their own interest. As we do so, we uplift one another's struggles and free Palestine from the river to the sea. I think by definition, those people are called useful idiots. (laughs) It's a technical term. I'm pretty sure that is the technical term, useful idiots. This is just unbelievable. So they're just essentially indicting anywhere in the city where there is some some presence of Jewish people and some leaning towards the Jews in their right to defend themselves and recover 240 civilian hostages, which you just got to wonder, are they even still alive at this point? Have they been spared? Nobody knows. Incredible. Uh, the, what do they call them? The infidas, right? Infidas. <laughs> Antiphidas. Pardon me, I left the T out. <laughs> Anytime you see the word colonization or colonize, you know it's crap, don't you? If that word is in, in the communication, uh, immediately it loses all credibility. Just it loses it immediately. What the hell are they talking about? I mean, if you really want to compare the two sides of the conversation, look at the fact that you had 3,000 pro-Israel supporters show up to march on the Mall of D.C. with no violence. They cleaned up their trash. There wasn't any problem. And then you have like 200 pro-Hamas people attacking the DNC office. That's an excellent uh, analysis because that is a very stark contrast. 300,000 people can all be peaceful and clean and kind, but 200 of them and it all goes to hell in a handbasket. That's absolutely accurate. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio today. We're coming back with more next hour. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. It's Friday, Friday, I'm free again. I got my motor running for a wild weekend. It's Friday, Friday, I'm out of control. Forget the work and blues and let the good time roll. I got a little sugar baby down the road. She's sitting on Welcome back, everyone. It is midday, Super Talk Mississippi, Jeff in Forest County. Between us, isn't Elon Musk got some South African history of anti-Semitism? Well, I believe he actually attended, if I'm not mistaken, a Jewish school. I don't know about his history of being an anti-Semite. Maybe that is the case. All I know is that this tweet that he posted yesterday ignited a firestorm. There ain't no doubt about that. It stirred up uh, a lot of folks across the world, honestly. And it is now affecting uh, the the platform from the perspective that major advertisers have pulled their advertising. They have the right to do so. I don't know why he had to venture into that, honestly. 
But it, it's also true that the president has issued, I don't have it in front of me, but I read it last night, the president of the platform of Twitter issued a statement basically informing the world that they don't support hate speech, they're not anti-Semites, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's kind of the standard legal party line stuff. But um, he says his wealth was given to him from his father's emerald mines. Okay. That's what Jeff says. Is that is that a problem? Uh, it's only like a half-truth. Right. That's like what I've his heard. father had stock in and partial ownership of an emerald mine. It's not like it was his own personal mine. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what that has to do, honestly, with his present wealth status and his net worth. I don't think it does. It's a a teeny tiny sliver of a fraction compared to the uh, the the net worth he's created since he started all these various companies. I mean, that's where the majority of his wealth comes from. And it's, honestly, it's on paper. It's not liquid wealth. It's just, and this is something that left just simply does not understand, Rhino. Which it, would include Jeff. This is just uh, an accounting in a... Um, a calculation of his net worth based on the value of his holdings in his various companies, which are public companies. But as we have explained, in ad nauseum, if he went and liquidated that stock, first he'd only get the current share price for a little while because it would immediately start tanking down to almost zero when the head guy starts liquidating their very large position. They just don't seem to get that. How that how that works? It's because it requires that second step of critical thinking, uh, or well, critical thinking at all, instead of just regurgitation of spoon-fed talking points. Well, the other thing he goes on to say is that Musk is very down with anti-Israel, and you cannot draw a bridge to that with CRT. Sorry, that does not compute. Try as hard as you like, not going to happen. Does not fit your narrative. Well. You, uh, once again, Jeff... It might not compute, Jeff, because of the next line here. It might be just the brain rot of liberalism when you say Musk is more aligned with the Taliban. Where'd you get that from? I I don't really understand that. But but I, let me go on and address this. When I mentioned Musk's tweet as being in support of another person's tweet, which was deemed anti-Semitic, I went on to say that, if you remember, Jeff, that we're seeing this across the country, that what bothers me more than Elon Musk, a single individual, is the support for Hamas and the disdain for Israel and the anti-Semitism happening on America's college campuses and schools in general, and to some extent outside of that society, but primarily on college campuses where we're having problems even getting college presidents to issue statements denouncing their students who are engaged in, honestly, support for terrorists, people that behead babies and rape and pillage innocent civilians. And I said that I believe that does, to a great extent, stem from the adoption of and the just proliferation of CRT and DEI on college campuses. What we reported a couple of weeks ago at Ohio State, 
140-something in their DEI department? Uh, Just as an example. And I do believe that these Marxist professors are teaching this stuff, and we just reported that the, the nation's most prominent business schools are requiring students to take that. And what they are teaching is that America is evil and it's wicked and that um, racism is systemic and it is not a product of individual biases, but rather America's institution. That is what they're teaching. And that is why I believe we're seeing the, the sort of the outcome of that be this, this rise of anti-Semitism. That's because that's what they're teaching. They're teaching you to hate certain groups of people based on certain physical characteristics. And when you see these same young people saying Osama bin Laden was right, did they not happen to remember or see or are they not been trained on what happened on 9-11? They just don't get that. And he wasn't going to stop there. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays on this Friday, y'all. And because it's Friday, that means we got Steve Azar's In a Mississippi Minute coming up today. You'll hear an interview with Mississippi music historian Wesley Smith in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. And the Sports Talk boys are on the road again today, Rhino. Where are they going to be? Up in Oxford, right? They're going to be in Oxford for the fourth annual holiday Jolly Holidays, which during the Holly Jolly Holidays in Oxford, there's going to be an ice skating rink, Santa, and so much more. So be listening for more info about the filming of Small Town Christmas in Oxford tomorrow. There you go. Sports talk guys all over the place. And then next week, it's Egg Bowl week. We got, oh, yeah. got games tomorrow. I think both Ole Miss and Mississippi State and USM are all playing at 11 o'clock a.m., a little early. For football, Ole Miss will entertain University of Louisiana Monroe at uh, at the Vaught, and then it's uh, Mississippi State at Scott Field. They'll be hosting the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles, a little interstate rival going on there. Should give you plenty of time to watch the games, then take a nap and get ready for the late night racing in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, tell us about that, I, and I'm going to tell you why. I want you to tell us about that. Go ahead. Well, the Las Vegas Grand Prix would be the first time they've been back to Vegas since the '70s. But unlike in the '70s, where they were racing in a parking lot of the Caesar's Palace, this time Formula One cars are going to be going over 200 miles an hour down the Las Vegas Strip with the casinos and all the lights and everything on on the sides of the racetrack there. 
Just one problem. They've kind of catered it to the European audience. Yep. And I get why, because they have to work around the fact that the Las Vegas Strip is a very busy road, busy thoroughfare there, and they have they have to have limited time they can close it down, so they figure it's better to close it down in the middle of the night. <laughs> so the race is going to take place 10 o'clock local time, but the problem being Las Vegas is two hours behind us, so the race won't start till midnight here. <laughs> well, guess who uh, who performed? Journey! Do you know that? Oh, yeah. How cool was that? Had to watch that uh, this morning, a little entertainment. They um, they performed their iconic hit, Don't Stop Believing, of course. And uh, they were fired up. It was awesome. They had a bunch of stars performing. Honestly. Oh, yeah, like 10 or 12 different acts for the big opening ceremony. I mean, that's, that's how much time and energy they've put into this, except they put a whole lot of time and energy in the glitz and glamour and the lights and the show, and they... <laughs> Failed to check the safety whether or not the uh, storm drains were going to come loose. Because if you're unfamiliar with with race cars in general, but especially Formula One cars, it's like an upside-down airplane wing. Huh. An airplane wing has a certain shape to it designed to have high pressure on the bottom and low pressure on the top, which creates lift. Okay. On a race car, you flip that concept. You create a low pressure on, on the bottom of the car and high pressure on top so that it kind of sucks itself to the ground, especially yeah. in the, the current era of ground-effect racing, where they can use the underside of the, the race car to help pull the car down. Well, that low pressure underneath the race car, about eight minutes into their first practice session last night, sucked a drain hole cover out of the ground, <laughs> broke the concrete, bent the metal, the cast iron grate on it, and destroyed a Ferrari. Jeez. Delayed the second practice session. I want to say it started this morning at 3.30-ish in the morning. Hopefully no one was injured, hurt. No, no injuries, and uh, the car that was torn all to pieces, they got it fixed back up, and it'll be back on the grid, but it's going to have to take a grid penalty for Carlos Sainz. Okay. So just, <laughs> just messed up a car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a big old deal. That's why I'm fighting through a bit of a fog this morning. My body clock is all kind of messed up, <laughs> trying to stay up and watch that. And you're like, okay, I get an hour of, of cars on the track, and then eight minutes into it, red flag, it's stopped, and it's not going to start. What? what did I, why did I stay up this late? <laughs> the, uh, the House Ethics Committee, you know, it's chaired by Mississippi's own Congressman Michael Guest, and they unanimously decided yesterday that, oh, George Santos – Needs to go. And what, the, the third or fourth time they've tried to kick him out? I think so. The problem, of course, is that Mr. Santos uh, has been found to use campaign funds illegally. It's a bit of a problem. He was using them for personal use. Now, he's Such got, as OnlyFans and Sephora. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> of course, he's a little out there, shall we say. Just a little. Um, yeah, so he, he's been referred to the DOJ, and I'll have to give it to Congressman Guest. He got pretty fired up. I, I caught some video of him on CNN. CNN. And he, uh, rightfully, I think, uh, was passionate about Mr. Santos. Now, I've heard people say, well, he's already declared he's not going to run for re-election, George Santos, New York in a traditionally Democrat seat. 
<clears throat> not going to run for re-election, given his baggage that's surfaced since he's been in office. That would be, of course, this time next year. So why go after him now? Well, let's be honest. The, uh, the role and the function of the House Ethics Committee is to root out members who have violated ethical guidelines. Well, he did. It's really irrelevant as to whether or not he's running next year. Fact is, he broke the rules, and he needs to pay the price for it. Now, I hate it because there's a good chance that that seat will likely flip Democrat. And the margin, as you know, is slim in the House. This guy, however, he's, he's just an everyday, common, everyday crook. I mean, he just is. So they have unanimously voted to turn him over to the Department of Justice, say, say there is, quote, substantial evidence he misused campaign funds, filed false reports on his donations, and engaged in multiple forms of fraud. He's just not a good person, is he? Is that a good I saw a pretty plausible theory last night about him where he's run before and lost, and lost badly. And it appears that in his loss, he was also having some funny business under the table. So this might be an example of he was totally expecting to lose and have none of this come to light. It's true. That's a good point. Maybe that's it. Uh, he didn't win by a, a large amount. That that was also a fairly slim election. But after that, remember, it surfaced it. And it may even be, I'm, I'm trying to recall kind of the timeline, it was revealed that much of what he said about his past was completely fabricated. Oh, yeah. He worked in private equity, wealth management, and the like. And none of that was true. So he's just a, not a good person. And now it, it's pretty much been proven empirically that he misused campaign funds. Can't do that. And although I get it, why even call it attention to it and take action now when you know he's not running, he's out of here. Of course... He could still announce he's running, right? I mean, just because you announced that to the world, uh, you still got time, I believe, to file the paperwork. So he could have a change of heart. It's not an official no-take-backsies. Right. Nonetheless, he broke the law, and he, and he needs to pay the price for that. So I applaud Congressman Guest for taking action. Thomas and Greenwood sent us a text, said, borrowing 14 is from Thomas Massey. It was a tweet by Representative Thomas Massey of the state of Kentucky. Borrowing $14.3 billion to send to a prosperous country overseas doesn't make America stronger. It makes America bankrupt. That uh, So hmm, what Thomas says is, here's the next one, is going to be labeled anti-Semitic. Uh, it's certainly possible, and, and that $14.3 billion, of course, folks, is in reference to uh, the amount of money proposed in the House to send to Israel. However, it had an offsetting provision to, to uh, claw back $14 billion, the same amount from the IRS that was enacted in the Inflation Reduction Act. Remember, that was an $80 billion increase to the Revenue Service. So the Speaker and other Republicans said, well, we want to send some aid to Israel, but we don't want that 
to be done without having offsetting spending reductions elsewhere. So they proposed the IRS. Of course, the Senate said that's dead on arrival, not going to happen. So you see why you really can't get anything meaningful done on the budget. It's just zero agreement, virtually no alignment by the parties on um, addressing the nation's uh, fiscal affairs and fiscal challenges, honestly. But it's time for a break right here in the Element Well studio. When we return, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist of Super Talk Mississippi News. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. It's middays. We thank you so much for joining us. And we welcome to the program Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Hey, guys. All right, Kelly, what's going on? Uh, you, um, you've got some rather positive news on the economic front in the state of Mississippi Forest. Tell us about that. Yeah, we had a couple of stories earlier this week that were good economically for certain areas. You've got Avid Boats, uh, boats rather, planning to renovate and expand its facility in Monroe County. It's an almost $8 million investment from the fishing boat manufacturer, and it's expected to create 50 new jobs. And if you're not familiar with the company, they produce high-quality aluminum fishing boats from their headquarters in Amory, Of course, that tornado in Amory earlier this year in March did a lot of damage to the facility. So they've decided not only to rebuild, but to expand. And construction should be complete by December of next year. Wow. That's good stuff. Good news. What else you got on the economic front? Well, we talk a lot about the hospital crisis in the state of Mississippi. Progressive Health Group has reached an agreement to acquire the only hospital in Chickasaw County. Trace Regional Hospital is expected to reopen its emergency room doors under new management. The transaction should be complete in December. Hmm. Progressive Health Group CEO Quentin Whitwell, I know a lot of you are familiar with him. We've had him on our shows in the past. He says the hospital won't be able to offer every service available, but they're going to work out transfer agreements so that larger facilities will be able to make sure the payment, uh, the patients receive the services they need. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't see that coming, honestly. I, it was kept fairly quiet, I believe, as it should be when you're negotiating a transaction like that. I just wonder if there's some others in the works for some of the other hospitals in the state that certainly those that are struggling, if there's maybe a, a path that some of the larger ones see to, to acquire them and perhaps eliminate some of the back office expenses and handle that at the headquarters level and 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 maybe that's an economically viable model just just thinking out loud if we may see some more of that here in the state 
Yeah, and that's not, you know, it's not just a Mississippi issue. That's really a nationwide issue. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, is, well, we're talking about money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to another income tax cut in 2024. Yep. Well, there was a bit of a deadlock this week. Governor Tate Reeves and the Joint uh, Legislative Budget Committee seem to be deadlocked on the fiscal year 2025 budget estimate. Reeves refused to approve top lawmakers' proposed estimate Wednesday, citing concerns that a lower projection that he wanted might keep him from justifying these future income tax cuts. Members of the budget committee tried to adopt an estimate of just over seven and a half billion. Members of the revenue estimating group recommend a figure that was about 117 million higher. Here's the good news. Representative Jason White, who's probably going to be the next House Speaker, says the legislature will probably have the votes to cut the income tax no matter where this revenue estimate lands. Yeah, interesting. I, I think he's likely referring to the House, talking about Representative Jason White. I'm not sure the votes exist in the Senate. And uh, Delbert Hoseman, lieutenant governor, said that uh, he's interested. This is kind of plagiarizing his statements uh, after that meeting, the legislative budget office meeting, where they discussed the the uh, projections for fiscal year 25. But he said, you know, we're interested in perhaps looking at cutting taxes, but may not be the income tax. He suggested that that the path may be to cut or reduce the sales tax on groceries. He brought that up. So, But the governor mm-hmm. clearly was uh, not happy with the projections that came out. Uh, of course, they're just projections, is all they are. And so I think what we're likely to see is some sort of bill that reduces the income tax based on actual revenues, not not what's projected. I think what's projected is is more a political matter, honestly, that the governor's concerned about, that if the projections are sort of weak, that maybe members of the legislature aren't so keen on supporting an income tax reduction when they're a little worried about just having sufficient revenues to pay the bills. But I think we'll see something. Yeah, a lot of lawmakers... A lot of lawmakers have been talking about a slow process to make this happen because they're concerned about where the national economy is right now with inflation being what it is. And, you know, they're already phasing in these tax cuts, these historic tax cuts that they passed. And they're trying to see where that lands the math, basically. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, We're in the the three-year process right now of reducing the 5% bracket down to four on a fractional basis for the three years uh, that we're starting now. so uh, But the governor wants to fully eliminate it. He's made that clear. That's a high priority. Let's talk about uh, somebody winning a big chunk of money from the Mississippi lottery. Yeah, this is really cool. A pedal resident, of course, we don't know their name because they don't release that, but they walked away with a $100,000 prize after matching four of the five numbers during Monday's Powerball drawing. The ticket, which had a portion of the winning numbers in the red Powerball, was purchased from Danny Dandy Dan's number 532 and pedal. The ticket holder doubled the $50,000 prize after opting into the power uh, into the, I'll spit it out here in a minute, Gerard. <laughs> After opting into the power play option of yeah. two, I play the Powerball often. I haven't won yet. Well, uh, good luck to you. I hope you do. We want to be talking about you one day winning a billion dollars. How about that? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget us little people now if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
All right, I think we have uh, finalized and, and wrapped up, put in the books, completed all of the uh, races for public office that we just, uh, we just conducted here in Mississippi. The final one called earlier this week with Representative DeKeither Stamps declared the winner in the Public Service Commission mm-hmm. Central District prevailing over incumbent Republican Brent Bailey. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know if most people are aware of this. It's not the first time that the Democrat has run for the position. Four years ago, voters gave their their support to Republican Brent Bailey. Yeah, I identified that Jackson needs somebody at a higher level to force it to do things that were necessary for water and sewer. So we put a plan together in 2013 to run for Public Service Commission in 2019. And we were a little short in 2019. And so um, I'm the kind of person where I'm going to go figure out what I can do better and come back swinging. So he did that. And he's been successful at it. And I thought it was interesting. He was on the Gallo show earlier this week. And he's a former Jackson City Councilman. And he had some interesting things to say about some changes he'd like to see in the state capitol. Well, I believe that Jackson has had some personnel issues that have caused problems, but this is, it has a bigger structural issue. I believe that Jackson has the wrong form of government. Mm-hmm. The mayor council form of government across the country uh, has about 97% of all the public corruption cases. And we believe, and we've been pushing since 2014, for Jackson to change the form of government to the uh, council manager form of government so we can hire a competent working professional that will in turn hire department heads and, and move forward. He thinks Jackson government is really just too big. He needs to reduce it down to four council people and a mayor, unify them, and then hire uh, uh, someone who knows how to run a city um, to be in charge. And I believe that if you'll go to supertalk.fm, we just published a story on the latest on the garbage contract and what's going on in the city of Jackson. So you can take a look at that. RFP going after that, right? Right. RFP, yeah. So what a mess. Unbelievable. Uh, all right. So anything else going on? Uh, you probably saw where the IHL has hired uh, someone to be the president of Jackson State University. Didn't have to go very far, just down the hall there at the IHL. And um, yeah, they finally named somebody yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep, Marcus Johnson, I believe, right, has been named. Thank you. I didn't pull my notes on that yeah. one, so I don't have that story in front of me. Chief Administrative Officer at uh, IHL, so he has been tapped to lead the state's largest historically black college and university, that being Jackson State University in nearby Jackson. That uh, at first it looked like they were not going to have. Uh, someone named before they departed their meeting yesterday, and then behind the closed doors, <laughs> some folks heard the the applause, and that meant that kind of the white smoke rising over the Vatican there, they'd come out with a selection. So that's uh, that's done. Takes over for interim president Elaine Hayes Anthony. Interesting. Big news there. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, Kelly, always appreciate you coming on Middays and giving us an update. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great weekend. You too. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio.
Get started today. Are you ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Chicken fried and cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right, and the radio. Well, I was raised up beneath the shade of a Georgia pine. And that's home, you know. Sweet tea, pecan pie, homemade wine, where the peaches grow. In my house, it's not much to talk about. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We appreciate you joining us today. So this TikTok ban on Bin Laden's letter to America, they're still trying to revive it and push it out there, but... I think the algorithm is working pretty effectively at this point. Seem to have suppressed it from distributing. Also, I said that the game between Mississippi State and uh, Southern Miss, which is going to be played in Starkville, I refer to it as an interstate. My apologies, that would be an intrastate inside the borders of the state. Just a little slip there. Uh, someone on the ceasefire text line pointed out that I misspoke, and I apologize for that. Do that sometimes. I reckon if you talk three hours a day, five uh, days a week, you're likely to do that here and there. I apologize for that. Especially if you don't have a teleprompter. That's right. No teleprompter here. No notes. Just all out of the head, I guess, as they say. So appreciate uh, our very wise listeners, one of them at least, for letting me know about that. Um, You know, I just thinking back, Rhino, on this whole... CRT stuff, and in my belief that much of what we're seeing in the country, especially on college campuses, these anti-Semitic protests, pro-Hamas protests. Remember the the black professor at was it Cornell, I believe, or Columbia, one of those. Immediately, like the, within 24 hours after the attacks, goes to some sort of rally with a bullhorn and announced that it felt exhilarating. He was exhilarated seeing civilians be murdered. That's who's teaching our kids. Of course, they're not kids at that point, but they are very impressionable. Your brain is still developing and forming, and you're, you're starting to kind of develop a profile and a set of values for your adult life. And they're just more... Palestinian protest expected today across the country, um, and and mainly in the big cities and on college campuses, and it's it's like there's just no regard, no recognition, no acknowledgement of what happened on October seventh. Are they just blind to this? Don't Willfully want- ignorant. Because it's a cause. It's right. It's your opportunity to it's be popular. Yeah, popular. It's the cool thing, the it thing, the end thing. It's immoral. It's what it is. It's moral depravity, and it's being taught to young people in this country. And that's why I jumped on Jeff. I, I, I mean, look, his opinion is that has nothing to do with it. My opinion is it has everything to do with it. 
And that's fine. We expressed his opinion on the air. We expressed ours. Simple as that. It's part of what we do here. Uh, but I still hold that belief, and I, I don't think I'm going to shake it anytime soon. I've just seen too much of it, too many examples of it. And when you, when you think about even our military, members of our military being forced to acknowledge their privilege, it's what they teach. It, how is that productive when you're trying to unite a fighting force? And your job, honestly, when you're in the military, first and foremost is to be strong enough to appear as a threat to deter any sort of war and conflict. But if necessary, and you have to mobilize and take action, then you better work together to kill the enemy. It's just simple as that. If you don't, they'll kill you and the rest of us, honestly. So I, I do think it's, it's poison, and I do think we have been poisoning the minds of our most precious asset, which are our young people. And it, uh, it concerns me. It should concern everyone. So I won't back off of that. I mean, what other explanation is even plausible as to why we've seen this proliferation of anti-Semitism. It's bigotry. It's hate. The very thing the CRT proponents accuse white people of, honestly, is exactly what they are engaged in. I guess that's okay. Because remember, was it the Anti-Defamation League that issued an official definition of... um, Yeah, they think they're Webster's now. Right, exactly. They issued. We get to decide the meaning of words. <laughs> Dang it! Yeah, that's exactly right. And they issued an official definition, an official to them, of racism, the marginalization and/or oppression of people of color. Meaning, it can't happen unless you're a person of color. Doesn't exist in any other form. Really? So people of color can't con- conduct racism, be engaged in racism. Commit racism? Is that how could that be? They say that it's based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. Therefore, that's the only form of racism. No bigotry exists. These are just infallible humans. I freely admit it exists in our society because we are flawed humans and we sin. Doesn't mean I condone it or accept it. But also, don't acknowledge or accept the extent to which they maintain it is occurring. I just don't. They can't. They struggle finding real examples of it. Now, what they want to do is throw all these statistics up. Well, see, look at the number of people and this, that, and the other. And like, well, maybe that's because of something other than their race or their gender. It gets used in that a lot. Well, you know, if you look at the number of corporate CEOs and you, you look at the lack of diversity there, well, how do you know that's because of racism? You don't. That's the, that's the truth. Or when it comes to, to um, just economic conditions and economic status, that's just purely based on racism? I disagree. I, I totally disagree. I, I don't. 
I don't know that I could name a company that discriminates in that sort of way at any level, any size. I just don't see it. And I'm not, don't feel like I'm being blind to it. I, actually, I got my eyes open. I kind of look for it to see is this really happening the way these proponents tell us? Or is this just a, a scam? Just a shakedown scam. I believe that's what it is. When you got 132 people on a college campus that are in the DEI department, all making $250,000 and up, that's a scam. That's a shakedown. That's unnecessary. How does that provide any value? How does that move the needle? How does that improve the prospects of the students, which is what you should be doing to get a job? Or how does that improve the quality and the depth and the results of research, the other major mission area for a college and university? You're supposed to be producing for society. That's the whole idea of a learning institution. Institutional higher learning is a better way to put it, of course. How does that do that? How does it achieve that? I don't see how it does. I really don't. Um, and I guess in, in including all this, this uh, coursework in business schools, as we talked about earlier, so what? You can be a, a manager and create your own little DEI department? It's just unbelievable. There have been some positive developments, believe it or not, in that whole realm. Uh, some I read about uh, this morning, such as the California Jewel, uh, judge uh, pardon me, ruled against mandatory DEI policies. This was a story, you remember, we shared right earlier in the year about uh, a college in, in Bakersfield, a community college, uh, Kern Community College, that's Kern County. And remember that they wanted to require that DEI policies be included in all aspects of the college operation. And they, uh, the judge, this judge recommended blocking the leaders at this community college from requiring that. So I, th I think this is good, the first step toward overturning statewide rules on DEI policy. So the state of California has statewide rules requiring all colleges to adopt these sweeping, very broad, very specific DEI policies. And it was a history professor at Bakersfield College at the Kern County Community College, in the Kern County Community College District, that filed a lawsuit. He... Uh, was on a five-month administrative investigation for calling a peer a radical social justice warrior. And um, he alleged his First Amendment rights are being violated by the district by making him, requiring him to comply with all this nonsense. So I, I thought that was sort of good news. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
That from the movie, Thank God It's Friday. Featuring the great disco queen Donna Summer. Remember it well. West Virginia, some more good news on the college front here. we got to share a little bit of that. Incredible. At West Virginia, the university, or West Virginia University, I think is the proper name, $45 million shortfall. $45 million. So the top administrators have agreed to a 10% pay cut. How about that? But get this. <laughs> Their vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion makes a cool $234,537. Plus benefits, of course. And in the public sector, you can tack on about 30 to 35%, honestly, onto that pay for benefits, because they got the same deal we do with their public employees' retirement system. They also announced, did the university, that someone named Rob Alsop, who championed the campus changes known as academic transformation to lawmakers, he's leaving his position as vice president of strategic initiatives. He only... That's <laughs> crazy. Rhino's laughing. I agree. Like, what is that? <laughs> 400 grand they're paying this person. 400 thou. And the ultimate irony in all of this is these people hate capitalism with every fiber of their being. Absolutely. But it's only in a capitalistic society where there's enough <laughs> money to go around where you can sit on your butt like a bump on a log and do absolutely nothing of value and still get paid six figures. That's absolutely right. Totally right. Because guess what? If they got their dream to come true, if they got their wish granted and the whole world was socialist, they'd probably be digging a ditch or mining for coal. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so at the University of Nebraska, it's like I've been saying. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. The University of Nebraska, they're also facing some financial headwinds. And they're considering an $800,000 diversity and inclusion cut <laughs> just to take a little bit of a, a, uh, a sliver <laughs> of, of help in their budget shortfall. So get this. The ne- University of Nebraska's Office of Diversity and Inclusion will be restructured to primarily support university-wide priorities and initiatives with a greater focus on DEI efforts occurring at the college and unit level, according to Chancellor Rodney Bennett. So they got $12 million of budget cuts. But <laughs> now the DEI officers, this is what I find just... Sad and hilarious at the same time. They found it a bit futile, <laughs> according to the report, in stopping anti-Semitism on campus. Really? So your DEI really only applies to a certain group. That's like the antithesis of inclusion and diversity. So you got to listen to this, Rhino. Here's what they have on their DEI staff, a vice chancellor for diversity and inclusion, a director for faculty diversity and inclusion, a separate director of faculty engagement and well-being, and an assistant vice chancellor for inclusive leadership and learning, along with some other administrators, and 12 staffers. 
What do they do? What do they produce of value? Am I crazy for thinking you ought to work and produce value? That that's no. how you that's how the world works? That's how the world worked for eons until about three years ago. Another good place they're considering cutting is in the Gender and Sexuality Center. God, dog. And, of course, you know what they promote there. That men can become women and that it is beneficial for individuals confused about their genders to get injected with hormones and have reproductive organs removed. That's what they're spending money on in this august institution. Get this, the Sexuality Center runs the Lavender Closet, a room that provides identity-affirming clothing and assessment to students confused about their gender. Oh, gosh. We, we hope to have clothing and accessories that fit students' identity across the spectrum. Good luck! It's an infinite number of identities. While clothes can be gender-affirming, we will have lack of gender, a gender styles available as well. Lack of gender. Oh what is my. that, a barrel with straps? <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't stop laughing. It's so nutty. We're stepping aside for a break with Elton John bumping us out of this final segment of Hour 2. Fox News, Super Talk News, next, and then Ashley Edwards. Stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studio. We're in hour three, the afternoon portion of the program on this Friday, y'all. We welcome now Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, and also a Super Talk Mississippi news column contributor. Ashley, good to see you again. Hey, good afternoon, Gerard. How are you today? Doing fantastic. Uh, just having some fun here on the program, wrapping up what has been a, quite a busy week, and looking forward to Thanksgiving next week. Wanted to have you on the program to uh, talk about uh, a recent article that you have published, uh, as you have been contributing quite a bit at uh, the Super Talk Mississippi website. Uh, talk to us about this one. It's entitled Battle for the Soul of the GOP. I believe that's it, right? The candidates spar in the pivotal Miami debate. I caught that one as well. It was truly a sleeper, honestly. What did, what did you think? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was. Um, I, it's, it's been interesting. I love watching these presidential debates every year. It's, you know, when you're a political junkie like I am, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of political season, so it's nice to do this stuff. But on the same note, 
what I saw on that stage, I think, is emblematic of the bigger issues that really are going on right now in the Republican Party. And, you know, you kind of go back over the course of the last six weeks or so, starting with the ouster of Speaker McCarthy in the House by a relatively small group of House members, the uh, just the ensuing messiness of trying to find a speaker. Uh, they obviously settled on Mike Johnson after after a while. It took a while to get there. Some of the things that have happened this week, and then you look at that debate stage, and you know th- there there really are a lot of voices in the Republican Party right now. And that debate, remember, Gerard was coming off the heels of um, election defeats earlier that week. Yeah. Uh, and so as I wrote that column. You know, I was really looking at how are Republicans going to get back in the winning column, and the point of the the point of the column really was to make the central point of the Republican Civil War has to end. <laughs> uh, Representative Mike McCall, Congressman Mike McCall from Texas, had made that statement during the speaker debates in Washington, saying, "You know, we have to stop this civil war," and I agree with that. I mean, we look around at us; we have a country and a world right now that is in desperate need of leadership. Uh, and in some ways, I think the Republican Party continues to kind of get in their own way. Uh, and I hope that we're not going to be in a situation here where they're going to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory yet again. Because when we see just how unpopular Joe Biden is, uh, when you look at the strife going on from the world perspective, uh, we need leadership. And so right now, it would be really great if the Republican Party could come together behind a message and a platform uh, but when you watch these debates, you watch the, the things that are happening in Washington, the Republican Party is doing anything but that right now. Sure seems like it. Uh, of course, since then, Senator Tim Scott has exited uh, the race. And so it, it really seems to be Trump's to lose based on all the polls. Nikki Haley seems to be in, um, in close proximity, I'd say closer than the other candidates I wouldn't put Chris Christie too high up on the list. Asa Hutchinson didn't qualify for the debate. Still in the race, Doug Burgum as well didn't qualify, the governor of North Dakota. Still in the race. Uh, but those that were there, the, the five that were there, one has dropped out. It's it's really kind of down to Trump and Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. They've been in Iowa, as you know, uh, speaking and, and presenting to the folks in Iowa their uh, their vision uh, for the country, but uh, I don't know. It just seemed to be a little juvenile. Uh, certainly, the exchange between Ramaswamy and <laughs> Nikki Haley. I, I don't think the voters want to see or hear that. Honestly, I was very disappointed in Ramaswamy. I'll admit, early on, I really liked his message. He's brilliant. You still can't deny that, and I don't think he's necessarily on the wrong side of most of his policy uh, positions. I, I think he's. He's uh, aligned properly, but his personality is hurting him, and I think it really showed itself in that debate, and I, I think he's uh, a short-timer at this point. Uh, what'd you come away with? Very similar uh, observations to what you just made, Gerard. I mean, I think a lot of his behavior is, got to, is starting to be very stuntish at this point, <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 it, and it doesn't seem presidential. I mean, you know, what's... What really bothers me about the current state of politics, regardless of what party you affiliate with, is the fact that statesmanship has become sort of a bad word. You know, people that can be leaders, people that can try to create coalitions. And so 
I never have thought the politics of division is a winning strategy. Uh, there's a lot of that playbook going on in the Republican Party right now. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, my old boss, Haley Barber, used to say, you know, politics is about winning elections. Yeah. Uh, if you don't win elections, it doesn't matter what your platform is, because if you're not governing, if you don't have the ability to enact those policies, then at the end of the day, it, what's the value of it? And so it's really about winning elections. And it seems that the problem that Democrats had historically was they had a hard time winning elections. They were able to get into this these very small sort of divisive political lanes, a lot of infighting in their party, which allowed Republicans sometimes to take a more moderate kind of center-right position and win big national elections. Yeah. And the script has flipped a bit. Uh, and, you know, arguably the election in 2024 may be the most winnable presidential election that we've seen in a generation. Um, and, you know, the fear is that right now the Republicans are so busy uh, fighting amongst themselves, the pro-Israel group versus the anti-Israel group, the pro-Ukraine group versus the anti-Ukraine group, yeah. uh, the Ramaswamis versus the Nikki Haley's. <laughs> Um, it's creating so much division within a party that needs to be finding a way to come together to win a very pivotal election that is coming up in a short period of time. You know, as you noted, it really seems like DeSantis, Haley, and Trump are going to be the last three standing, really the only three that would have the financial ability to stay in this race. Um, you know, it looks like you could see Nikki Haley potentially come in second to Trump in some of those early states. Um, and Trump does look like the candidate to beat right now. Of course, Chris Christie is spending all his time on TV warning folks. You know, he could be a convicted felon come election day, uh, which presents his own set of problems, obviously, for the American electorate. But whatever the Republican Party does, they have to put themselves in a position to be victorious in the election. And, you know, what we see going on in Congress right now would suggest they're going to have a hard time holding on to the small majority they have. Yeah, that sure, certainly looks that way uh, as well. And I've seen some recent polls, you probably have as well, that show that uh, Trump, DeSantis, and Haley all uh, beat Joe Biden in the polls. It's by a yes. small amount, honestly, but all three of them show. Now, that's in, in, in popular uh, polls. The popular vote, as we know, doesn't really matter. But it's a pretty good indicator of kind of where uh, voters' heads are right now. I, I think the vast majority of people in this country are starting to see more and more every day that Joe Biden is just not up to another term. And I talked about it on the show after his meeting this past weekend with Xi Jinping. He just looked more frail than ever, in my view. And in, in contrasting his meeting with him about this time last year, just looks like significant decline over that year. I mean, because of his age, it's not, not being uh, critical of him as much as it is just uh, observing reality of, of aging. And I think people are seeing that and they're worried. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, and look, the polls clearly demonstrate that. You know, how often do you have an incumbent president sitting in the upper 30s in approval rating that is sliding towards re-election? I mean, it's unheard of in American history. In fact, really, one analog you have for that is uh, when when Barack Obama going into the 2012 election was sitting at about 39% approval rating, but he saw his numbers improve over time and he was able to defeat Mitt Romney um, I'm not sure that this country's in a place now that you're going to be able to pull from that bag of tricks again. Now, you know, and, and look, I, I think that the other thing that is just striking to me, Gerard, 
when you when you listen to the vernacular and kind of the dialectical conversations going on on the left, it is clear they are very concerned about Joe Biden being at the top of the ticket. They see the vulnerability there. And so, you know, Republicans ought to smell blood in the water, so to speak. Um, but, you know, you watch that debate, you watch a lot of the things that are going on. Not a, not a lot of folks are running against Joe Biden right now. They're running against each other. Yeah. Uh, I, and, you know, that's a good look with a year to go. And that seems to be the case. It's, it's more about uh, just blasting and tarring uh, Trump than it is promoting Biden. And I think the, uh, the analysts and the Democrat surrogates know that's probably not a successful strategy at this point. Always appreciate uh, your insight. Great article, by the way, as well. Ashley Edwards, Coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, a former president, CEO of Gulf Coast Business Council, and writes great pieces for Super Talk Mississippi News. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ash. Thank you so much. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market's a bit unsettled today, moving around, but not too much uh, above or below the unchanged line. The 10-year the yield has uh, fallen a bit today as well. I've heard some economists, it's sitting at about 4.5%. It's down. It had approached 5%. And it actually, I think, eclipsed it for a bit a couple of weeks ago. And that is a, a big indicator of how stocks are faring when yields rise on the Treasury securities Typically, that means equities are falling and vice versa. So I've seen some economists that now believe with the latest inflation report that we may see, this is incredible to me, in the middle of next year, the 10-year, which is what mortgage rates are based on, credit card interest rates, chattel mortgages, which would be like um, a car loan, for example, um, that the tenure may have a two-handle as opposed to a four-handle in front of it. The whole number there is part of the rate. I'm shocked at that. I've seen some economists predict that. They just believe the Walmart CEO, you saw Walmart stock fell precipitously after they announced earnings. It was because the CEO issued guidance and actually used the word deflation. Deflation. Said he's worried about the consumer. 
in the future and concerned about deflation. Now, deflation is good for consumers, is bad for sellers. Can be. So that got the markets uh, a bit in an uproar and they started selling off Walmart stock. It has rebounded a tiny bit. But volatile times for sure. The price of oil, haven't checked it today, but it was down in the low 70s last time I checked. I'm a little surprised. I had said I thought it might approach 100, but supplies and are, are still, inventories are still fairly strong, and uh, demand seems to be steady, and supply seems to have caught up. So the, I think you're going to see the price of gas fall by a pretty good clip in the next week or so, just as a result of the price of a barrel of oil falling rather significantly over the last couple of weeks. Interesting. Interesting times for sure. Let's see. I may have missed it, but what didn't Chris... Why didn't Chris McDaniel endorse Tate? I don't know. It was a close race, and a lot of far-right voters professed to not supporting Reeves. I don't know. I never saw any statement or comment from Chris McDaniel with respect to the candidates for governor. Did you, Rhino? I don't recall any. I don't, certainly, I don't remember him endorsing any candidate in the race. So I really can't, uh, can't answer that question. It's a good one. Jeff in Forest County... Um, he is telling us that Democrats, in fact, do not support this idea of females facing competition for biological males in athletics. Can he point us to a single Democrat politician that has stated that publicly? I don't know of any, honestly. And in fact, if you look at the organizations that are responsible for this, for this sort of stuff, school districts and the like, the NCAA, etc., they embrace this nonsense totally. And the, the, um, the number of districts that have now set up accommodations for transgenders, I, we just told you about the University of Nebraska having like a dressing room for people to get clothes that correspond with their identity. Even if you don't have an identity, what'd you say? They're going to wear barrel straps. Yeah, we got a nice cardboard box or a big wooden barrel with two shoulder straps for the agender fashion. <laughs> no genders, all the. So here's the thing, Jeff. What what are the odds that those people vote Republican? They're big Donald Trump fans, right? They're MAGA people, like none to zero. In the school districts that have all this crap going on, have, have adopted all these policies and rules to accommodate all that. They're all the deep blue school districts. And to some extent, they're even in some of the red districts because they got liberal, Democrat-leaning school board members that are making all these rules. So I, I'm not buying it, Jeff, and Rhino's right. He says we keep finding outliers. Are you kidding me? I tell you what, Jeff, you find me a major university or corporation in this country that doesn't have a DEI department. Find one. Let me know. 
I just gave you a list of but the But that most- would require actual work on his part and critical thinking and original thought, and that's just not in his alley. You know where they he don't have He would prefer have to be spoon-fed his talking points <laughs> by whoever he watches on TV in the morning. MSNBC's already told us he watches the race lady, I bet, Joy Reid. You know where you won't find them? The HBCUs. They're the least diverse in the whole country. It's true. So, sorry, Jeff. Those are not outliers. I could sit here and spend hours discussing the major corporations in this country, all of which have established these sprawling DEI departments and have adopted all these crazy policies. It's just incredible when you start looking at the sort of stuff they're doing. And I have numerous friends, and I agree it's anecdotal, but these are friends that work for fortune companies, and they've shared with me some of the stuff they have to deal with that they they just have deep contempt for, but they know they got to play the game. Like you gotta, you got to select an affinity group to belong to, except there are no white male affinity groups, and these are white males. You have to choose another one that, I guess, Closely aligns with you. Why do you? Why are they doing affinity groups? Why do you got to declare your like personal physical profile? Why? Why is that important to the performance of a corporation? I'd argue it's not that it's destructive, harmful. So, Jeff, you're the outlier. Honestly, you're the outlier because you got a myopic view. And you need to open your eyes up and do a little investigation, as Rhino says, that does require some work. And I, I'll admit, I do spend a lot of time researching this stuff and subscribing to a number of sources for this information. And then I go vet it a couple of times to make sure this isn't, as Jeff says, an outlier, just one report, which you do get sometimes. And then I look at it and said, no, you go to the website, yeah, this is totally true. And you know what happens so often, Rhino, is when they get exposed they in, in a more public fashion, they immediately go to all their documents and all their public-facing materials, and they scrub it. Oh, no, it's not happening here. It's true. It happens all the time. I've got um, a friend who was up at the AMA conference the American Medical Association, one of the most woke, left-leaning organizations in the country. And I heard a report like 15 to 20 percent of the physicians actually belong to it because it's gone so crazy to the left. The ABA, the American Bar Association, same way. And this person sent me a photo of a, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, an easel-type stand with a sign on it, transgender bathroom. They had a custom-made sign, and they had taken one of the bathrooms at the convention site, and they had, they had cordoned it off just for transgender bathroom. And they had a big sign made with the AMA logo on it. And, you know, on the program here, we talked about some 40-page document they they uh, published on proper usage of pronouns <laughs> and um, how to deal with all the transgender surgeries and treatments and how they are big-time proponents and advocates for taxpayer funding of gender, what they call gender-affirming care, which is mutilating a kid's body, talking about for children, how this is so necessary. 
in society that the taxpayers need to pay for it? So I'll ask the question, how many of those people do you think vote Republican? You won't find a single one. And where are the Democrats, as we are doing right now, criticizing and condemning the AMA for accommodating this garbage? This has nothing to do with treating people's illnesses. Half an hour left here on Middays. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. I need more cowbell. Seasons don't feel the reaper, nor do the wind, the sun, or the rain. There you go. Blue Oyster Cult. It was Christopher Walken, right, that played. Oh, the... yeah. That's Bruce Dickinson. That's right. I need more cowbell. That was awesome. Uh, looking at a poll here from Emerson College, Emerson College poll of New Hampshire GOP primary voters. Trump at 49%, Haley at 18%. Chris Christie bests DeSantis with 9% to DeSantis's 7 DeSantis, I think, is out of here. His star is certainly dimming. Doesn't look good for him. He just, something didn't resonate about it, about his campaign. I don't know. Didn't didn't work out for him. I don't see him. It's just the way he comes across. It it it's a little grating on you, isn't it? And I I believe Ramaswamy made that same sort of crucial error in um, in the debates. It really came across. I mean, if you compare the body language of say a DeSantis and a Chris Christie, yeah, DeSantis is standing there trying not to move a muscle. <laughs> Working extra hard to either not smile or smile and getting caught in the middle. While you got somebody like Chris Christie who's kind of wallering on the podium and kind of laid back and relaxed and just, I'm here. What what question you got? I'm, I'm here. <laughs> he Honestly, he does perform pretty good in the debates. Christie does. I mean, it just seems more natural and uh, more spontaneous, less scripted. He's just so unlikable. Uh, he's just unlikable. He, I agree. But you ever spend any time in New Jersey? And, and New Jersey people are great people. I'm not saying that. It's just their personality, more so than what the average person, I think, believes of New York. Most people think Trump it kind of represents the average New Yorker, the New York real estate people. I didn't find that to be the case in my numerous travels to, to uh, Manhattan and spending a lot of time in the area. In New Jersey, on the other hand, that, that's a different culture. They just are. I mean, there's a group of them that made a killing with Jersey Shore. That, and that does more. Exemplifying that exact attitude. That's exactly how it is. I mean, I just work with a bunch of them. That's how they are, man. They're no-nonsense now, and they're hard-working people. 
And I also found them to be just brutally honest. I guess I say that because they just didn't hold back. I mean, they didn't keep certain things in and, you know, share certain things with you. It's all coming out, baby. That's, that's how they are. And Christie's kind of like that, if you think about it. But you're right. It, it comes across as unlikable. I think that's a problem. You know, I we've talked some on the program about cybersecurity and cyber attacks specifically being a, just a huge problem in our country. And here close to home, Hines County experienced a fairly significant cyber attack. You remember back in, uh, I believe it was early September, that endured for three three weeks, weeks plus, right? Yeah. I mean, just down. Couldn't couldn't do legal filings. And it, it uh, of course, there's a lot that's involved in that. But the county systems, all of them, just unusable, inoperational for a while. And I always thought that we may see a day, I still do, I still warn about this, where bad guys attack the county systems where the voter rolls are all maintained, not to hack the voter rolls, but to to attack them and seize control of them, hold them ransom, such that you can't conduct elections. Imagine how disruptive that would be. And during that period... It almost happened. Right, during that period, because they recovered just prior to the election. If if the election had occurred, been scheduled during that period, I'm not sure Hines County has elections. I don't see how they are. They, they're able to do it in that case. But... The 3,100-plus counties in the country, I don't remember the exact number, they're all vulnerable. They're all subject to an attack that could hold them ransom, lock them up, make their systems totally inaccessible, unusable, meaning you can't get to your voter rolls, no elections. It's a problem. It's totally automated, as you guys know now. Well, there have been a step-up in the number of ransomware attacks in the country this year, 500%, 500% increase. Of course, it was up, what, 300% last year? Last year. And this is reports from the industry, from companies that, that uh, provide uh, tools, protective tools, threat detection, et cetera, and uh, thwarting mal- malware. Well, Clorox got hit. And their chief information systems officer left the company after being in the role for two years. And it was really because this person failed at their job, did not protect Clorox's systems. And they had a cyber attack that damaged their IT infrastructure, and it led to widespread disruption and had a significant negative impact on their earnings. They were, like, literally processing orders by hand, which is insane when you think about the volume. So this person lost their job over it. Wow. And they had an earnings call at the beginning of the month, and basically the CEO said, We're not back to normal, but we're on a solid path to operational recovery. But this will take some time. And every company in America is subject to the same sort of attack and disruption and damage and harm to their systems. This is a problem. But so is the public sector, public sector systems, such as county governments, as an example. And so we should should heed what happened 
and pay attention. I, I, I worry about it. We've talked a lot on the program about the public employee's retirement system in the state of Mississippi and its financial challenges. You guys know by now I, I wrote an article outlining those and some potential options to address the shortfalls and the economic headwinds the program is facing. Social Security, Medicare, same situation. And I've been critical of the fact that candidates for president won't touch it, won't talk about it. Nikki Haley has. My hat's off to her. She's been a little prophetic, I guess you could call it. She's warned over Social Security. Um, warned about Social Security. She's warned about Medicare as well. But she has said that Social Security is facing bankruptcy. And I just want to point out, that's actually not true, Ambassador Haley. It's not that it's bankrupt and that it it's cannot... Because bankrupt means you can't meet your obligations, it can semi-meet them. Now, some people may classify that as, as being bankrupt, but what happens in, in 10 years from now, it's not that the company or the company, not that Social Security, the program, can't pay benefits whatsoever. It just can't pay them in full. So it still has money coming in. Just it's not enough to cover all the benefits going out because the reserves that are in place, the trust fund that covers the shortfall between what goes out and what comes in, it's being depleted to cover the shortfalls, the trust fund. And in 10 years, it's done based on projections. And at that point, they can't make ends meet, and the checks that are going out would have to be less than the full amount. And she, But she's addressing it. She's, she is willing to put it on the table. Honestly, unfortunately, the rest of the candidates, including Donald Trump, have said, no, we're not going to touch it. He says, we will always protect your Social Security and Medicare. Okay, that's great, but what are you going to do, Mr. President? What's your plan of action specifically to, to uh, establish those protections? Well, Nikki Haley also stepped off in it with her idea that everybody online should be registered by their name. Yeah. And there should be no anonymous accounts. She did say that. Yeah, you're right. She's proposed, by the way, as a solution to Social Security to means test the program so that if you're at a at a uh, an income level that's not exorbitantly high, honestly, you just don't get any benefits. You pay in all your life, but you don't get any benefits. That's what she's proposing. That's what the Democrats want to do. They want the Democrats want I guess Jeff doesn't figure into this equation, though, right? Because he's told us he's not aligned with them. But the Democrats want to increase taxes substantially on the higher incomes. But when it comes to them qualifying for and applying for benefits, you don't get any. But you're going to pay more, more than you're paying now. We're going to make you pay more, but when you retire and you're ready to draw benefits, you don't get any. This is just blatant. Redistribution. How can you call it anything but that? And that's what the Democrats propose. But I'm disappointed that Nikki Haley is now saying, yeah, I'm for means testing Social Security, which means if you make a certain level of income, you just don't get any, even though you paid in all your life. 
We're stepping aside for a break right here. The final segment of Middays is coming back with you. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. The great 38 special on the all-hit request line, bumping us into the final segment of Middays. Appreciate that. They had them a few guitars in that band, as I recall. They picked them pretty good. On the C Spire text line, Dan in Hattiesburg talking about means testing Social Security as an idea being floated by Folks on the left and the right, certainly Nikki Haley is floating that idea, says, what is what if that same person who paid in all their life fell upon hard times later in life? Would they still not receive benefits? So, Dan, at this point, details really haven't been released, but in general, it would apply to one's financial situation when they apply for benefits. Now, Again, you could structure it any way that that the Congress could dream of, and it would pass through the chambers and be signed into law by the president, any sort of reform like this. But in general, the idea is you don't get Social Security if you don't need it. I hope that makes sense to you. That's the idea. Um, I can tell you that if you look at Medicare, there's some tests on your Medicare. Because Medicare is not totally free. It's not money sent to you like Social Security benefits are, it's it's insurance coverage, and you've still got to pay a, a premium, albeit a, a small one, and depending on which part of Medicare you subscribe to, but for some of it, some of the parts, you've got to pay a premium. Well, I, I looked at that, and honestly, when it looks at uh, your income and it, and it computes your premiums, your premiums are based on that. So the idea is how much the government deems the subscriber can afford. It was outrageous. I was shocked. Paid into it my whole life, and now it's time to receive some benefit from it. And, and my income was used to determine that my cost, my premium portion, to essentially have equivalent coverage to basic standard commercial um, group coverage you would get from your employer. And it was outrageous, crazy. But that, was, that would be the idea. Thompson Greenwood says that that means testing will never fly, but I bet they look at people like me with a good bit in our 401k. Thomas has to tell us that he's got a good bit in his 401k plan and say we can't get it because we have worked and saved. They can do anything they want. Means testing comes in many forms. I've not heard any suggestions, however, Thomas, of those who want to means test, that it would, uh, it would examine the means testing would examine your your balance sheet, your assets, 
as your net worth as opposed to your income. So it just depends. And that could be kind of difficult to, to quantify because you could have income from investments. So the, the two are kind of linked. You, your 401k plan could be figured into it simply because you are required at a certain age to start drawing out of your 401k plan um, by law. And when you do that, it's going to produce income and that would disqualify you. But that's one of the things being being uh, floated as an idea. Ben from Madison says, I'm no Trump loyalist, but give me him over Nikki Haley every day of the week. She wants more endless wars in the Middle East and is owned by the military-industrial complex. She has sat on the boards, I believe, of um, some defense contractors, and that has been brought out and is of concern to some people. Uh, But I hear you. Gary in the bunker says, uh, get a haircut and get a real job by George Thorgood. We need to to play that one. Zach and Oxford said, every time I hear that song, uh, talking about Don't Fear the Reaper, just makes me think we need more cowbell. Absolutely. The Democratic Party on the ceasefire text line has a much better machine, sadly. This was when we were talking to Ashley Edwards about his take on the, the latest, uh, uh, the last debate where the, the candidates kind of consumed each other and were at each other's throats. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. They they are seem to be, seem to be pretty good. Only Nikki Haley can win back the suburban women that Trump lost in 2020. Trump and DeSantis can't do it, says Donald in Oxford. Although I will point out, Donald, that polls in those six swing states where it matters shows Trump up by a, a sizable with a sizable lead over Biden in five of those six states. And if the election were held today, and if that panned out, and I believe it would, honestly, he would win in the proverbial landslide, taking home more than 300 electoral votes, which would be incredible. I think it's what, Rhino, 271 to win what comes to mind. So we'll see how all that play, pays out. Brad and Jackson says we put pay and conflating pay and play. We pay into Medicare all our work years, so why do we have to pay for it when we retire? You're actually only paying for what's called Part A, Brad, which is hospital coverage. You have to pay for Part B, and then if you want Advantage, Part C. Out of here today. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.